Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, Truth Seekers. You're listening to A Measure of Truth on blogtalkradio.com, and I'm your host, Michael Fordham. If you just clicked the link on my webpage or you're listening on blogtalkradio.com or even the Blog Talk Radio player on my Facebook page and you want to call in live, look, we'd love to talk with you. So give us a call. The number is 347-326-9470. Oh, need a minute to get something to write with? But don't worry, I'll give the number again right after the commentary. Or if you like, you can Twitter me your questions and comments at twitter.com slash a measure of truth. Also, if you haven't yet, why don't you look me up on Facebook? I'm the Michael Fordham with a photo of me in studio, and you can always email me your questions and comments at a measure of truth at gmail.com. Look, we got a great show for you today. We'll be right back after this. Mama Carmo is a fearless survivor. On February 28, 2006, at 4.45 p.m., she was diagnosed with stage 2 breast cancer. She had no family history of breast cancer and was only 32 years old. She had been doing all the right things, exercising, taking her vitamins, and eating healthy. She didn't fit the profile. She had been told by her doctor that she was too young to get breast cancer. How could this have happened? She didn't know the answer to that question, but she knew that her life would never be the same again. In May, after she had been given her second chemotherapy treatment, she decided to create an organization that would empower, educate, support, and end isolation for young women affected by breast cancer. The organization was named Tiger Lily Foundation. Mama's challenge with breast cancer inspired her to become who she was meant to be. She realized that the disease did not have the power to define her, but that through her experience with breast cancer, she could define and create the life she wanted to live. Mava is now an inspirational speaker, mentor, philanthropist, and a fearless breast cancer activist. Mama Carmo, welcome to A Measure of Truth. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm honored. <laughs> oh, we're really glad to have what you. What a great introduction. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you very much. Um well worthy of the um, the things that you've done and are doing and will do in the future. And uh, you just have such an amazing story. I just cannot wait to get into it. But tell us a little bit about um, the beginnings. You know, when you first discovered um, your diagnosis, was it difficult for you to accept at that time? I, um, honestly, it was 
it was the most single most shocking thing I've been through in my entire life. And I survived three wars um, from my native country of Liberia. I've been I've escaped three wars with my life. And but getting the diagnosis of breast cancer was the, honestly the most shocking thing. Um, you know, in life we're defined by oh we we kind of um, you know certain things mark what reality is. Like in the morning the sun rises and it sets at nighttime, and the certain colors uh, and 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 smells and sounds and it totally rocked my world because nobody in my family had ever had any kind of cancer. Um, I was the epitome of health, you know, and my mother's a nurse, and so literally she enforced in my brothers and I from a young age, they instilled in us rather the importance of, of seeking care of our health. And so um, it was just shocking. I, I didn't was totally unequipped to deal with it, and it rocked my entire world. Um, and over the next, you know, couple of months my entire world did unravel um, but that's what led me to being who I am today. Uh, it wasn't an easy place to get to though um, I mean I've cried countless nights um, mm-hmm. worried um, prayed on my knees laid on the ground flat and prayed that God to spare me or to at least let me have the chance to see my daughter grow up and you know I would do whatever I could do you know to live the life I'm supposed to live um, how, how old was your daughter at the time? Noelle, um, she was three at the time. Mm-hmm. She just turned three. And, um, you know, it's. I, I prayed, you know, for this beautiful child. And, you know, I felt like I finally had the life. I, I finally had a life that I wanted. Many people, like myself at the time, you know, I had a checklist. I had a five-year plan. So everything had come to fruition. You know, I had the house, the car, the partner. I had the job. I had this beautiful little girl. Um, and the level of, you know, I had the corner office in my, where I worked, a nice office and income, and so I thought, okay, I finally arrived at where I'm meant to be. I'm at the right age to have these accomplishments. Um, and then, you know, then I get this diagnosis of breast cancer, and it was utterly, you know, shocking. Yeah. And, I can't describe it. Um, and, yeah. and at your age, too, that that is shocking, especially for young women at 32. Wow. Well, that's the thing, because my mother, you know, I tell people she gave me life and then she saved my life because she taught me something very important, which was to be my own, you know, be my best advocate at a young age. And she taught me to do my breast examinations at 13 years old. So Hmm. I've been doing them for a long time. I knew the lumps that had been there for a long time. I knew which lumps came, you know, during when I was having my cycle. Um, And I went to the doctor when I found the lump at 31, and I told her, you know, I have a lump. I did a mammogram, which came back false negative. Mm. And um, the doctor told me that, you you know, you can't have breast cancer, you're too young. Um, I did an aspiration that was a failed aspiration, but the doctor insisted it couldn't be breast cancer. So what was the shocking part to me wasn't just that I I had breast cancer, but that I'd done the right thing in terms of, of, you know, going to the doctor, getting the mammogram, and being, you know, pushing her to to give me uh, um, to do a biopsy. And if it wasn't for my mother and myself insisting on me getting the biopsy, I'm, I'm sure that I would be stage four um, metastatic breast cancer or I would be dead today. Wow. That's wow. what that- shocked me the most because because I was like, okay, I, I found it. I went to the doctor. I did all the right things. And, you know, I, I could have been, you know, I could have died if I hadn't pushed further for my own, you know, health. Yeah, and this is something that's really unusual about your story because most of the time we find that the person who's diagnosed will be the one in denial, but it seemed like the medical community was in denial about what you thought was wrong. Right. I mean, you know, to be fair, most women that get breast cancer are generally, um, you know, 40 years of age and over. Mm -hmm. Um, But we're seeing incidences of women getting breast cancer more and more, there are approximately 11,000 women under 40 that are diagnosed annually, and 10% of those um, lose their lives to the disease. So the, the community as a whole doesn't, you know, think that women get breast cancer under 40 because generally women get it over 40 more often. However, women who get breast cancer under 40 have more aggressive breast cancers because of our mm-hmm. level of estrogen mm-hmm. and um, and because we're misdiagnosed and told we're too young or because we're not aware to be checking or to say, okay, well, the lump that you told me that was nothing is now doubled in size or I'm now having back pain, which could be stage four, I'm having this problem here and there. They don't know to push. So we're di- we're not, doctors aren't aware. The girls aren't pushing. The parents don't know. Um, you know, I've had friends who've gone into doctors with lumps and they told them they were fine, and they gone back 
months later I've been sent to chiropractors and to do, you know, um, acupuncture and other things or told to de-stress and they're too busy. And then to come back, you know, finding out that it's stage 4 breast cancer. Mm. So, you know, it's just it's just women are getting it more and more under younger women and it, it is more aggressive and so the community as a whole needs to be aware and women and girls need to be vigilant about their health. Um, and that's why Tiger Lily's mission is primarily education for young women under 40. Education and getting them to change their lifestyles and, you know, be healthier, be more balanced and implement changes that are going to promote um, a lifestyle of, of wellness and health and overall well-being. And so what are the, some of the things you're talking about that um, could help these changes in lifestyles that could um, lower your risk factors? Well, I mean, breast cancer, any kind of cancer, any kind of disease forms in a body that is not balanced. So it could be something that's environmental. That could be external, you know, in the environment. It could be um, maybe, you know, of course I have to say this, that they don't know what causes breast cancer yet, so they don't know what stop, what's going to stop it, but when a cell is imbalanced, that's how when, cancer forms when a cell goes crazy. And it goes crazy because maybe there are um, too many toxins in the body. Maybe the body isn't getting rid of the toxins fast enough. Maybe their body is producing um, high levels of chemicals that shouldn't be in there because of high levels of stress. It could be diet. It could be pesticides. It could be chemicals, hormones in our food. Um, it could be high levels of stress. It could be um, so many different things, you know, um, uh, alcohol intake. Um, some women, um, um, body weight is also a factor in in disease um, disease management as well. So we teach young women about the importance of doing breast self examinations. We teach them the importance of eating healthy, exercising, and knowing what they're eating. You can eat healthy food, but depending on where the food is grown, or depending on you know um, how much you're eating, it could still impact you in a negative way. So telling the girls what kind of food have the right nutrients in them, um, teaching them about the importance of, you know, breathing properly, yoga, exercise, living a totally healthy, balanced lifestyle. And um, managing stress is also very important as well. And, you know, um, telling them what to look for in terms of, um, you know, a healthy breast. So we go to, technically, uh, volunteers go to schools, middle schools, elementary schools, um, universities, faith-based institutions, and talks to women, to mothers and daughters about how to do a proper breast, breast health examination, um, how to understand the lumps, and how not to be afraid, because fear is a, is a really huge factor in people getting educated. Sometimes people think, well, if I find a lump, you know, can I afford treatment? Or I don't want to know. Mm, but yeah. empowerment is a is a wonderful tool. If you know, in time, you can you know save your life or that of a friend. And that's why it's important to us to go to the schools and educate young women and they can teach, in turn, teach their peers. And sometimes they teach their mothers about the importance of, of healthy body and breast care. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, that, yeah. That's awesome. And, um, you know, it's interesting because it seemed to me that um, not long after your diagnosis, you, I guess because the doctor's weren't really hearing you and you had to really push harder. You kind of pushed yourself right into advocacy because, you know, shortly, I mean, your second chemotherapy treatment, you, you started Tiger Lily. That's crazy. Yeah, I know it's kind of nuts, huh? <laughs> yeah. Cause you know, no, really, because you know, I'm thinking that you're going to be more self-centered only about you thinking about what can you do, you know, focusing on your options, so forth and so on, but you are already thinking about how to help others. That's amazing to me. Well, you know, I think that before my in my life, and I wouldn't say I I think I'm a pretty much I try to be a good person. I've done, you know, other things like charity work, but I think most people are very very self centered as we are as people, human beings. And I really, it's one thing to volunteer and give some time here and there, I send a check, but it's a whole other thing to own something. Mm-hmm. And I didn't think I had before I got diagnosed taking ownership and being part of um, the solution. I wouldn't say the cure because I don't know if there is a cure. I believe that I want to. Stop it from happening in the first place, not curing it after it starts, you know. So right. I, I believe in the cure, but I really, my focus is getting people educated and preventative measures are important. But I got diagnosed and um, literally my entire life fell apart in less than a matter of mm-hmm. a month. Because, you know, I had to put my job on hold and, you know, the things that were important to me were the corner, corner office and the salary. And, you know, I had my first, I had my surgery and at the time, my, my my ex wasn't didn't understand 
um, what I was going through, and he couldn't cope, and so we went through uh, separation. I had my chemotherapy, and I had to, um, I got very sick, and my mother, um, I just couldn't live alone with my daughter. I could not take care of just her and I alone. Right. And um, it wasn't even that I didn't want to. I desired to with all my heart, but as a my physical body was breaking down. Mm-hmm. Um, when you have chemotherapy, your body falls apart. And so my mother, you know, I ended up blacking out one day and I had to go to the ER. And she said, when I got out, came to, she said, your bags are in the car and you're coming with me. And um, so the house, everything that I had defined myself by those important things, they were no longer important. Mm-hmm. And I sat there going through, you know, anger at first, like, why is this happening to me? Why did he leave? Why am I bald? Or, you know, why am I going through, you know, this baldness and, and my, my breasts are scarred, and I may not be able to have children, and what if I die? And, you know, so me, 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 me. And I kept mm-hmm. asking, why, why? And I was so angry. I was so angry. I was consumed by anger. It was like this abyss, you know, just kind of like sucking me in. I cried all the time. My nerves were a mess, and mm. I was a shadow of myself. And then one day I was laying in bed, and um, my mother's home outside where she, she lived at the time, um, there was a path. I, we lived in Reston. Virginia, and um, I could hear the mother, mother walking her, her child, or baby, and the baby was laughing and running. And I was, I was to see the trees, you know, and the light on the trees, and I'm laying in bed, sick and throwing up, and I'm thinking, wow, that baby, is, whether it's a girl or a boy, hasn't begun living yet. And I'm thinking, what about that child's future? And I've been sitting here being so self-centered. What about my daughter? I could sit here and cry and, and moan about myself, but what's more important, me complaining about why me or me looking at how to make an impact so nobody else goes through this. Um, I thought about other women who were going through what I was going through and not having an angel of a daughter to help me get through it or a mother who would give me her house, her room, who would feed me and bathe me and, right. you know, and, and bathe me, like wash me like a child and hold me when mm-hmm. I cried at night. And mm-hmm. I thought, what if other people don't, what if other girls who were like me who are going to doctors are getting the same message that I got, you're fine, go home, and, and then coming back in six months like me, and my lump is doubled in size. Mm-hmm. So um, one night I just, you know, I got sick and tired of being sick and tired and sick and tired of seeing myself, looking at myself and looking at and thinking, who are you? And I I, um, I couldn't ask God to save my life because people die that don't deserve to die. But I pray that if he restored my spirit and gave me the energy to do whatever, I would give my life to him in service. I didn't want to live the way I had before. I, would, I don't want to live a life that's purpose, purposeless and that's just kind of thinking about accomplishing worldly things because all these things we work to acquire are going to be left behind. What matters is love, life, compassion, kindness, giving, and sharing of the self and the soul. And I began to realize this very, it kind of like an epiphany happened to me one day. So I prayed this prayer and went to bed, and the next morning I was a different person. I don't know mm-hmm. how to explain it, but... I got up and God gave me the vision for Tiger Lily. And um, my mother, I remember getting up and uh, looking over at her, and she's like, what happened to you last night? And I said, oh, my God. I said, I said, I think he, he um, you know, God came to me. And she's like, what do you mean? I said, I, something happened. I said, I prayed last night for him to, if I survive, to get, I'll give him my life in service. And, and I think that he gave me this thing to do, and I don't know what it is yet. And she goes, what is it? I'm like, I have no idea. But I knew it was something different. I knew I was a different person. I knew the person I was the night before. I would never be that girl again. And um, and I was like, I got on my knees and I was like, God, please tell me what it is. I just felt this energy and this fervor and this, I don't know how to explain it. You know, you read about, you know, people read about God, you know, touching people. And I you always think that, you know, it, it won't happen to me or if it happens, how could it be happening to me? But when it happened, it was just such an amazing um, experience. I felt like I've been cleansed in this amazing um, water and was surrounded by light and energy. Um, and I'm not an, I wasn't a speaker at the time. I had no media experience or no experience about beginning a foundation. And um, I thought, how can I make an impact? How can little me make a difference? And then, you know, I just, the way God speaks to me, you just kind of have these ideas in my head. And I just heard this voice, whatever, it was like, you know, just follow, listen and follow, and I'll show you. And that's how it began. And the next the day I spent the whole day journaling and kind of like just kind of free-flowing thinking, um, what do you want me to do? And then it came to me to create um, a website to get people educated about the issue. 
and again, I always I would have doubts like how is who's going to listen? You know, who's going to find this? How are they going to impact anybody? And <laughs> but I didn't think. But then mm-hmm. I don't know. I had this I had this gut 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 feeling that I didn't need to ask why or how. I just needed to be to be um, to be trusting and have faith for once and just sit down, shut up, and listen. And I listened wow. because I had nothing but time. I had time after chemo to just sit there and listen, and he spoke to me. And um, and now it's five years later, and this thing is happening that I call my life. I just kind of watch. I'm like a bystander watching it happen. <laughs> um, really, and, and truly. Tell us, how big is the organization now? Because, yes, it has grown quite a bit. Um, in terms of how big, meaning the impact, people are being impacted on a global level. Um, we're still growing financially with people, but I mean, um, I'll tell you a story. My father um, was traveling back to Liberia, where I was born and raised um, for a part of my life, and he was in the airport. Um, I believe he was in uh, Amsterdam, if I'm not incorrect, and he had on a Tiger Lily T-shirt, and someone ran up to him and said, "I know Tiger Lily," and he was. He looked at the person and said, what? He said, Mima Carmo, Tiger Lily, right? And he says, yeah. And he goes, I'm her father. And the girl said, no, you're not. You can't be her dad. He said, Mima, apparently um, I had spoken to her mother who had breast cancer a year or so ago. And um, um, anyway, my dad said, she's my daughter. He pulled out my pictures of my, you know, as a child and young woman. And um, my dad called me from the airport to say that this woman wanted to talk to me because I helped her mother, you know. Wow. And it was just so beautiful. I cried mm. because mm. I never would have thought that it would reach, you know, some place like that. I mean, I just thought, again, we all think we're going to do our, if we all do our part, and even if it's something small, but we are focused and we're passionate, we're dedicated, and it's with integrity and with, you know, humility, you know, it'll amazing. it's amazingly um, amazing what, you know, what doors uh, can be opened for us. Um, we have... Um, we're helping women all over the country. Uh, we're providing, you know, peer support, body bags, meals, financial assistance, and empowerment to women who are going through stage four breast cancer. Mm. Um, it's growing, and um, we're trying to keep up with all the demands because, you know, it's so much uh, demand of young women needing support. But um, the fact is, there are more women being educated about the issue than there were before. And if I can change, if I can help to save one woman's life, one girl from dying of breast cancer, then my goal is accomplished. And so the way I see it, I look at the individual. I don't think about the huge big picture. I think about one person at a time. And if I can inspire one person to make to feel different about the issue, to, to own it like I did, then she will in turn ignite the passion and ignite the fire and, and somebody else. And they'll pass the message forward. And that's kind of how I approached my approach Tiger Lily. I never thought it would be this big thing. I just thought I would just keep doing one thing at a time. And, uh, wow. And just well, through. Well, everything starts with that one first step and the decision to, you know, to do what you feel is in your heart. And um, it, it's just amazing your story is, as far as how long you've been doing this and how you know, much success you've had as well. Um, we want to come back in a minute. We'll talk a little bit about your story a little bit more and the event that you have up and coming. And we'll be right back with Mamo Carmo after this. Hi, I'm Michael Fordham, host of A Measure of Truth on blogtalkradio.com. And I want to take a moment to talk to you about a heinous crime against humanity that plagues our nation and, yes, believe it or not, communities just like yours. Here's something you can do today to lend your support in the fight against human trafficking also known as modern slavery. For example, Tanya was only 11 when she was forced to use her body for her own survival and the perverse desires of others. Now 18, Tanya knows no other life. She can't even remember when she was able to choose how she wanted to dress. Tanya dreams of being a teacher one day, and with the help of Bridge to Freedom programs and your support, they can empower her and others like her to move from surviving to thriving. You can make a huge difference in the life of a survivor this year through your support and donations to Bridge to Freedom Foundation. Bridge to Freedom is a nonprofit organization that provides aid to survivors of slavery who now live in the U.S., such as former child soldiers and victims of sex trafficking and forced labor. The cornerstone of Bridge to Freedom's work is personal and professional development, 
to help survivors adapt and thrive in their new lives and communities and find work to support themselves. The Bridge to Freedom Foundation needs your support to help people just like Tanya. They need your urgent action to ensure that they can continue to provide clothing and health and beauty services to these survivors. These are not only important for rebuilding self-esteem, but are crucial to finding employment. They're also in great need of storage containers and clothing racks to organize and store donations. While donations of needed items are vital, one sure thing that will help to stop the spread of this injustice and prevent it from thriving undetected is educating yourselves about human trafficking or slavery and knowing the signs and the proper authorities to contact if you become aware of a victim in crisis. Find out more at bridgetofreedomfoundation.org or if you have a reason to suspect that someone may be a victim of human trafficking, please call the National Human Trafficking Resource Center hotline on 1-888-373-7888. Multilingual call specialists are on standby 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. All calls are confidential. Welcome back, Truth Seekers. You're listening to A Measure of Truth on blogtalkradio.com, and I'm your host, Michael Fordham. Look, if you just click the link on my webpage or you're listening on blogtalkradio.com or even the Blog Talk Radio player on my Facebook page and you want to call in live, look, we'd love to talk with you. So give us a call. The number is 347-326-9470. Or if you like, you can Twitter me your questions and comments at twitter.com or A Measure of Truth. Also, if you haven't yet, why don't you look me up on Facebook? I'm the Michael Fordham with the photo of me in studio. And you can always email me your questions and comments at a measure of truth at gmail.com. Look, we are just finishing up with uh, Mamo Carmo. And um, welcome back, Mamo. Hi. Hi. Um, you have an event that's up and coming, and we want to make sure we, um, you know, save some time for that to talk about that a little bit as well. But um, I also wanted to talk about um, how your um, advocacy group works. I mean, you you do public speaking, you you do um, educating um, young people and women. Uh, Just tell us a little bit about how that actually takes place. Um, Well, the program is set up to give young women support before, during, and after breast cancer because I thought it was important to offer full life cycle support, not just a piece of it. So, um, we do education, in, you know, like I mentioned, in schools, um, colleges, universities, faith-based institutions, homes, businesses. And um, we send uh, the girls, you know, meals and paid pills and so forth. Everything is pretty much web-based. People can go on the website and find us um, and, um, you know, click on a program page and then send an email and say, okay, I need this support, and then someone gets back to her. Um for things like our buddy bags, they can fill a form out, and um, we get it in email, and the bags are sent out. Same thing with meals. And um, and the advocacy work, I mean, it was important to me to um, not just speak about things, but find a way to make um, an impact nationwide. And so one of the things I worked on with an amazing congresswoman, um, Representative Debbie Wasserman Schultz, we worked on the Early Act Bill, which was supported by pretty much many, most of the breast cancer foundations. Um, the Breast Cancer Early Act is it's been in place for about a year now. You know, what it's, what it's supposed to do is to um, work with the CDC and Department of Health to ensure that young women nationwide are educated about their bodies, um, you know, the importance of speaking out for their health and being their own best advocates. And I believe it also has about $11 million in appropriations for organizations that do support women under 40 with breast cancer education and support services. And so, you know, um, I'm on the CDC advisory panel for that, and so um, we're working on getting the work of the bill implemented over the next um, few years. Uh, I do speak quite a bit, um, and I really wasn't a public speaker before I began doing this work, but it's to get the word out, you have to be Show up, to show up, and you have to be mm-hmm. able to speak about your cause and get people inspired and educated and explain to them why they should be involved. Um, so I, I have so many volunteers that we wouldn't be able to get this work done without the volunteers. Um, I started it, like I mentioned to you, or you mentioned earlier, in bed in my, during chemotherapy, and I just began speaking and speaking and speaking and going everywhere, whether it was a church, um, a mall, anywhere people would listen to me, I would show up and speak. 
friends, family, strangers. I would accost people in the grocery store and start talking. Wow. Um, um, but I mean, well, what, it, what did you get the energy from? To you mean while you were actually in chemotherapy? Chemo. And I know the first few days you're you're okay, but towards the end, you um, know, before your next time around is when it really starts to hit you pretty hard. Were you still able to? Um, I don't know what possessed me. I honestly don't know because even now sometimes I'm like looking back at even as a, as a well woman, I get tired. I'm like, how did I do that with, you know, being sick? But I literally would go to chemo and um, I have my pre-medications. I would get, you know, groggy. I have the chemo. I come home. I get sick. I would sleep. Once I got up, you know, like I mentioned, like when when God has his, his plans for you, you have no, there's no way to explain um, what happens because I just got the energy to do the work. I would sit mm-hmm. there, and when you're on chemo, too, it, it really is, um, you can't sleep, your nerves are a mess, and you feel terrible, and you have a lot of fevers, and so I couldn't sleep at nighttime, so I would spend the entire night, I'd be up sometimes till 1 or 2 in the morning, Googling and typing and emailing people at other organizations and asking them, could I come and speak and share what I was trying to build, and, and asking people who were total strangers to mentor me and just, you know, making inquiries, and um, I made a list, one, well, this is going to sound crazy, but I made a goal to um, reach 50 to 75 organizations a day. So I would just get on the Internet and just mm. send people emails. Reach how many like organizations a day? 75. Minimum, wow. Wow. Maximum. So I would just sit there. I mean, I would, if I'm between, between chemotherapy, I would have a couple of days. So I just sit there and email people all day. I Google different companies, different media outlets, different people I thought who could be influential, who could support me, and I would just send emails. Mass, just I mean, of course I send one at a time, but I would send out large amounts of emails. And um, I had only time. I only had time. You know, I didn't know what was going to happen to me. I didn't know if I was going to make it through my treatment. I didn't know if I was going to get recurrence. I had no idea what cancer would do in my life. And so I just did that, and I got a lot of no's at first, and a lot of, are you kidding me, a lot of, but people are already doing this. And I'm like, no, this is different. This is about women who are, and women who are getting this disease, you know, who are in their 30s and 20s, you know. And I, in the past couple of years, there have been young girls, children diagnosed who are, you know, six years old and 10 years old. Really? And so people just don't know. And I, I think, you know, it's not something, I never want to see a, anyone go through this, but not a child and not a girl who should be in college, you know, planning her life. Mm. Um. So energy-wise, I had no idea where it came from. I just, I don't know, I was just kind of like <laughs> infused with this energy. And I, and I was exhausted, mind you. I was tired, but it was, the, the purpose was bigger than me. Right, and it was right. bigger than my fatigue. And I thought if I, if I only have six months or a year or however long I have left, I need to make it count. So now, but, before this uh, happened, what was your profession? Um, I, I managed proposals for a government contractor. So I help people to manage con- pro- proposals to win large contracts. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really interesting how God equips you to be, he gives you the tools you need to be where he wants you when is the right time. Mm-hmm. Because um, growing up, I was very, very shy, painfully shy. I actually still am, but I just don't. I've got really? To, it, well, yeah, <laughs> but, I, but I, again, it's like, you know, this is not about me and my weaknesses. And, and for me now, when something makes me afraid, I jump into it more. And so mm-hmm. I'm more of a behind-the-scenes kind of person. So I, I went to – I actually was really shy, so I took a communications course to overcome my shyness. And I almost fainted the first time I was in the class. And I, was, I don't like to fail, so I kept taking more and more classes. And my counselor came to me one day and said, you know, you're going through your junior year and you have all these comm courses. Why don't you become a major, comm major? I think you should be a broadcast journalist. And I said, no, I'd rather be behind the camera. And so I ended up taking finishing my degree, but not going into broadcasting as I wanted to be behind the scenes. Um, in the beginning of my career, as a you know doing proposal work, uh, managing people, getting people to listen to me and to manage you know logistics and to plan how to execute um, requirements, prepared me to at some point build my foundation. So mm-hmm. um, I look back at all those things, and my family was amazing. My mother, my grandmother, and my parents were very involved in charity, my dad, and giving to people and helping other people. And I remember them being at every, my mother would go to every, every, I mean, every wedding, shower, funeral, christening. My dad would give people food and, you know, just help people, give them money and support people, especially where I grew up in Liberia. People were poor, you know, sometimes they're not well off in certain instances. And he would, 
give, you know, give our clothes and give our time and give our toys. And so I grew up with people giving all the time. Um, so I didn't have any other, my toolkit was already full. It was already filled with the things I needed to have to do what God wanted me to do. And um, and so as I began this whole journey, I would I would say, well, how how do I do that? And, and God would be, you know, like, I would be, you know, I just kind of would do whatever and it would open doors. But everything I had already lived through equipped me to deal with um, carving this new path, which is, you know, being, you know, writing Tiger Lily and helping to educate still people about uh, about their breast health. Mm. So that's kind of how it happened. It just happened. I didn't have any plan. It just kind of <laughs> happened. I don't have, I don't have <laughs> I, people ask me all the time. I get people call me to say, how do you, you know, how how do I grow my foundation? How do I, you know, can you mentor me? And I tell them, you know, I ask them, the first thing I say is, what's your greatest fear? And then when they tell me that fear, then I'll ask them what brings them the most pleasure and the most joy. What makes their heart sore? And I tell them that's what you should do. If something makes you afraid, jump into it. Because, you know, what makes you afraid will make you stronger and make you better. And don't always do what's practical, but do what is right and do what feels good. Because if you love mm-hmm. what you're doing, if it feels right for you, because it felt so true for me, it's why it's grown. You know, and um wasn't about money or, you know, or being in the spotlight or being... I just really love to do what I do. I love to know that every day when I go to bed and I close my eyes, that if I get up in the morning or not, I would have done everything in my power to help somebody, to help my daughter know how to be a better person, to help young girls who are going through treatment, to help educate a mother or father. Um, So it's amazing to go to bed with that knowledge and to wake up in the morning thinking, you know, my first thought is, you know, who can I help today? Who am I going to help today? Who am I going to impact? How can I be a better person today? And um, to pass those on to my daughter as well, which is, you know, wonderful. Yeah, that is. And um, although your daughter was very young when you were first diagnosed, she's had an opportunity to see what you do now. And I see her in a lot of the pictures. She's a beautiful little girl. Um, Tell her, I mean, tell us a little bit about the impact that you think it has had on her to be able to see the work that you've done. Um, Well, my daughter, when I think about her, I get, I'm starting to get emotional because she, um, if it wasn't for her, I don't think I would have made it through my treatment, her and my mother. Um, Mm. But she's as much a teacher to me as I am to her. There's so much she teaches me about myself because when you're in treatment, you you know, you lose everything. You lose your hair, your breasts, your all these different things that you think are the definition of who you are. And and this little girl would look at me at three years old and tell me, Mommy, you're beautiful, you know, when I had no hair and no eyelashes, no eyebrows, Mm -hmm. scars on my breasts, you know, and... Mm and 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 when I was scared, you know, she would look at me and she's like, you know, what, you know, she'd look at me and and say, "Mom, you're going to be fine." And um, mm. and she believed. She taught me. She taught me to believe um, because she had these beautiful, innocent eyes, and she needed me. Yes. Um, but you know, people always ask me. You know, I told her I, I believe in being um, open with her and honest with her. So I told her after my before my surgery that I had, you know, boo boo, and I had to have surgery to pick it out, and I couldn't play the way I used to play before. And I told her that I would have to have surgery. I mean, I have to, you know, take medicine to get better. And um, and I said it maybe it could make me a lot sicker than before I got better. Maybe I wouldn't get better all the way. I don't know yet. But I said, I'm going to be very, very sick, and I want you to know what's going to happen to me. And and I'm sorry that you have to see this and know this, but I want you to know your mommy as, a, as who I am. You know, I want her to, be, to know me, and I want to have transparency with her. And so I told her, but she didn't really understand that I would lose my hair. And I didn't think I would, I didn't understand either how it would impact me. Um, when I lost my hair, I remember, you know, my hair kept coming out in pieces and I would touch it and it would fall out and get up in the morning and there'd be hair mm-hmm. on the bed, hair on the floor. And um, and one day my brother just said, Mama, you need to just, you know, I forgot it and I brushed it and a whole chunk came out in the front. So I couldn't comb it over or hide it anymore. And he said, you need to shave your head now. And so... We sat down and shaved, shaved my head, and I put on my wig, and I went to get her from school. And mm. she said to me, what, what's that on your head? <laughs> what's happened to your hair? And um, so anyway, I had to tell her the truth, and I told her, I'm going to go in the bathroom. When I come back out, I'm going to be, I won't have any hair. And she did not deal with it well. She was so, um, mm. she didn't understand. But mm-hmm. she said, where's my mommy? Where's my mommy? Bring her back. And I said, it's me. 
just come over, come to me and smell me. It's, it's me, and just touch me, you'll know it's me. And that's how we began this journey. Um, and so because I was so transparent with her and so open with her, um, she and I began doing this work, so all she knows is giving to people and helping people. She helps me to stuff envelopes, stuff bags. People write letters to us. She sometimes reads the letters the girls send, and she understands that people go through, people suffer, and you can yeah. help them if you give a little bit at a time. So she's um, began to make her own fundraisers where she's um, selling cupcakes to make money with her friends. Um, she speaks at events. She gets her friends in school to wear pink. Um, <laughs> teachers. I mean, she's just an amazing wow. force. Um, yeah, she she inspires me every day. And sometimes, you know, I get, you know, I'm I'm torn as a mother. Am I being the best mother I can be? Am I giving too much to my my other daughter, Tiger Lily? You know. Yeah. And Noel reminds me when the phone rings in this late night and someone's calling me who has chemo the next day and wants to talk. Mm-hmm. I might say to her, I, I can't answer that. You know, let's finish reading your book. Or let's, you know, we're doing your project. And she goes, no, I need to answer that phone call because that girl, she's going to need you. You know, she needs you to talk to her. I, I, mm-hmm. I can wait. I can wait. Just talk to her and then I can wait. And so it's amazing um, how, um, why she is and um and you know, so she's just wonderful. She's amazing, and she's my biggest inspiration. And why wow. I do what I do is I don't want her to ever have to go through this or have a peer go through this. Um, and honestly, the, our children and the gifts we give them are truly gifts we give them in the world are all all that we have to give. You know, as human beings, is we give to our children who come after us, and we give to people who can we can be touched, we can touch, we can touch through our our, our lives. And so, if I can change, empower her, inspire her, and give her the seeds she needs to be able to be the woman that I want her to be, that God wants her to be, then my work is done in that department as well. Um, so this is not a nine-to-five for you. This is amazing. People are calling you late at night. You you really give quite a bit of yourself to this cause, and it's amazing to, to, to hear that without even having to probe and ask the questions, just how involved you are. And um, uh, it's just really commendable and um I, you know, I was already impressed by all the things that I've been able to see just following you on the Facebook and seeing some of the events that I know that other folks that um, I've had contact with as well have had a chance to participate in. But um, really hearing the depth of um, your involvement and your passion and your commitment is just really amazing. Well, thank really you. Amazing. I mean, I, I I do, you know, strive to have a balance. I mean, sometimes the phone's off, but every time I get a call, you know, there's some people, sometimes you just can't help, I'm very, um, my heart is like on my sleeve, you know, and I just love people, I, I live to love, you know, it's kind of how I feel about myself, I just love people, and if somebody, some girl emails me and says, you know, I need help, or I'm scared, and I can feel that energy through the phone, or through the email, I can't help it, um, I'll email them back, and I'll have them call me, and some of the girls have my cell number. And um, if they have chemotherapy the next day or surgery and they're afraid, you know, I have to talk to them. Mm-hmm. Because the way, the way that girl, the energy with which she goes into her surgery and treatment are going to determine how she heals, whether it's a you mm-hmm. know physical healing or a spiritual healing. If I can impact that in some way, you know, I I can't help it. I can't, I just can't stop myself. And so I do balance it, but oftentimes, you know, my daughter's asleep and, you know, I'm on the phone in the next room calling somebody back or working and you know because it, um like i said it's something that it uh, it's who i am now and um if i can serve people and, and and make the world different and empower somebody or just touch some girl who needs help the way i needed help it took people people came to me and put their hands out and put their arms around me to help to inspire me and and, and empower me when i felt that i had no power when i had lost myself so mm-hmm. if i can give somebody else that same gift, then um, it's okay to lose some hours of sleep. I can sleep later. <laughs> <laughs> I can sleep, you know, there's time for sleep in there right now. It's time to get things done. So, so well, you know. I guess that brings us to the question, and I did want to ask it earlier, but um, uh, I was just so in, in, enamored by all the other things you've said. But So how did breast cancer save your life? How did it save my life? I uh, people have asked me about that and some people say, Why do you say that? People die of breast cancer all the time. And here's my answer. People people die of many things, many all the time. And people we're all gonna go at some point. That's the first answer. 
The second answer is that you can live, the people I see walking around who are physically alive, but they're emotionally and spiritually void of life. They're not mm-hmm. alive, just existing. Yeah. Before I was diagnosed, I was somebody who, I thought I was alive, but I really wasn't alive. I was just kind of existing. I was like a robot, you know, go to work, come home, take care of the baby, which gave me joy, you know, clean the house. I didn't feel like I had a purpose or a passion. But the energy that I have now, the life that I feel like infuses me, is so much different than what it was before. So breast cancer made me realize a couple of things. For one, we have to find joy in every moment Mm. because we don't know what's promised the next moment, and we need to be alive. I mean, like, there's so much beauty in the world. I mean, the colors of the grass, the sky, people's, you know, a child's laughter, you know, seeing someone's eyes light up. I mean... Even when people that are going through a tough time and, and you're able to touch them and honor them, you know, whether it's through their illness or passing or whatever, um, there's so much living to be done. And I didn't think that, I didn't, I didn't do that before. And so breast cancer made me realize that maybe you need to wake up and you need to really, really live your life. Live your best life now, today, this moment. Because every moment that passes is the past. And the present is, you know, is the present, the future is now happening, right, as we're talking. And so breast cancer gave me the gift of recognizing that. Um, It was a very painful way to recognize that and to, it was hard to go through, but if I hadn't gone through and faced, you know, my mortality and faced, you know, not being able to go to the bathroom alone, not being able to walk and not being able to eat and being sick, I wouldn't appreciate my health. I wouldn't appreciate my life. I wouldn't appreciate um, uh, experiences and people that I get to meet like yourself who are doing amazing things and um and so you know it gave me the opportunity to have a life that I didn't have before. It gave me the opportunity to live my life to truly live it as an action, like do it, not just mm. you know be a passive bystander and let things happen to me um, and that's something that I try to empower other women with when girls call me and they're feeling very much like I did, like a victim. And I tell them, you're not a victim. You are a victor. You need to own this. You need to figure out what you're going to do with the time you have, whether it's six months, a year, five, ten, twenty, sixty years. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people go to bed and don't get up. People get into planes and, and they don't get to where they're going. But breast cancer can be an eye-opener, whether it's, you know... And it's a painful thing that has to happen to anybody. But if you... For me, it gave me the it gave me the gift of recognizing the time, because I could have been like people. I you know I had a friend who died in a plane uh, accident a couple of weeks ago, but he just took a plane flight to go where he was going and never got there. Mm-hmm. Um, but but for me, with this disease, I could um, own and and use my time because I know that it's not promised, and that in itself is a, is a gift to have a second chance in life, and to make it count. Absolutely. And, um, you know, it, you know, when you have an event like this, a critical disease um, such as cancer, it, it really changes your perspective on life as well as your priorities. But I, I really like what you said, live your life as an action, because some people live the life as if they're only a participant in some grand play or scheme of things that's going on. No, it's your life. You have some choices to make and you have power behind the things that occur every day. And so you have to take control of your life and, and live it just that way and you'll find so much more out of life in doing such. Yeah, yeah I think, you know, a lot of people come to me all the time, people that I'm meeting, whether it's friends or people at events or that we're, I'm supporting or I meet through networking and they come to me with all these fears. People have so many fears about life. And I always mm-hmm. say to them, so what and why not? Like, if you're afraid of something, just do it. Whether it's loving somebody, whether it's giving, whether it's pursuing your dream, or whether it's something that you've had in your heart that you're afraid that people will laugh at you or it won't be a success, how can it not be? When when all God equips us with is, is the power to create success, you know? And so it's so important to live the life that you need to live because at the end of the day, um, when you look back, what are you going to say? I wish I had. I'm glad I didn't do that. Or do I? People will they say I wish I had done that? I wish I had used that time more wisely. So the thing is, like the breast cancer journey is not just a journey about breast cancer, but you know, through what I've been through, I'm able to get people to listen, to listen, and to wake up and to really live life. And um, 
and that's something that that I didn't expect to come out of it either. Hmm. Are you still there? I'm still here. Yeah. Oh, okay. I thought maybe we had lost you. No, I'm here. I, I yeah. what I'm saying, when I'm talking, I sometimes get into I you know I start feeling where I was at the time, and I, it's just mm-hmm. you know it's amazing to be able to be alive and to be able to do the work that I'm doing that can impact people even on a small level. Because you know, um, yeah. one of the things I wanted to ask you is um, a lot of people who could um, support someone who has cancer, who who could. Um, be a part of their life while they're going through the struggle, but just don't know how. Um, explain a little bit about really um, the mistakes people make when they when they try to offer help or when they try to um, be a part of your life at that time, um, and what's really needed from someone who is in treatment. Well, people, there are people that the people that who are going to be there for you, and those who aren't going to be there for you. So, for first of all, people that get afraid of being around people that have cancer or breast cancer. You know, they shouldn't be afraid. Um, the person is not contagious. The person, um, all they need is someone to be there and to sit with them and to understand. The person doesn't really change in terms of what they need. They need comfort. They need love. Um, and it's, people sometimes say the wrong things. They might make yeah. the wrong kind of comments. They might say, mm-hmm. you're going to be okay, or let's, you know, right. let's pray and God will heal you. And then you're mm-hmm. Googling people are dying. You're like, okay, well, God didn't heal her, and he didn't heal her. And um, or you know um, you know it's happening for a reason. There's a purpose for all this, and people just say things because they want to make you feel better. But what they can do most is just to be with you and be present and and allow you to feel. Because when you go through something like that, you're facing immortality. You're facing the you know looking at the reasons why, and you're looking at your life and taking a total assessment of everything. And your body is breaking down. You know whether it's through surgery or chemotherapy or radiation, your body's being um, affected and so what helped me is friends who would just come and just sit there. I had a friend who came to every single chemotherapy treatment I had and she would just sit there with me. Mm-hmm. She wouldn't offer a lot of talk she wouldn't talk a lot. She wouldn't when I cried she would touch my arm or give me a hug. We didn't mm-hmm. talk much but she just was there. And that connection and she would send me really amazing energy. That connection and her love and energy that she sent to me and just her presence was profound. Um, people can also send books or, you know, little inspirational books or they can send a card or just a gift, you know. Um, people could send little, like one of our programs is our is our uh, body bag program where we send the girls um, uh, care packages. And so um, people can also can go on our website and donate or to get a girl a care package or send somebody one, send them a book or a card or a candle or you know, something that's nice, an aspiring T-shirt, jewelry, lotion, something that's going to help her feel like she's loved and appreciated because mm-hmm. um, she truly needs that the most at that time. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, oh, one thing people do that's not good, people will say, oh, yeah, my friend had breast cancer and she died. And that's something that people would tell me all the time when I was in treatment. And wow. I was like, can you just shut up? <laughs> I don't want to hear mm. about that. I mean, I, I really, you know, sorry, but, I, you know, people would say the wrong thing. So... Just being compassionate, um, being thoughtful. Um, think about what you would want to hear, what you would like, and then you give that back. Right. And another thing, too, is um, when when a person is in that situation and you really don't understand it, don't walk in there and try to understand. It's not about trying to understand where that person is. It's all about what can you do, again, to make them feel comfortable. And don't go in with a preconceived notion of what you want to do for them. Sit and, and hear from them what they might need. Might, what they might want, what's missing, what are some of the things that they can't do that they wish they could that are not being addressed. And, um, you know. Um, and listen. And, Listening yeah. is so important. And sometimes, I know that couple, Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say sometimes, too, um, that person um, may choose to do things differently than you want. You know, as far as treatment, and um, they they may decide that um, the fight is over for them. Um, my my sister in law just passed away on the fifteenth, and um, it was her third bout. And uh, for her, it was um, no point in her going through this again if it could possibly return again. And you know that was her choice, and we had to accept that. It was a very very difficult thing, but even within that, there were blessings. Um, she had an opportunity 
to spend a week with us um, at our house before going into hospice before, you know, she finally passed. And, and I think that was, uh, it was good for the family. We, we made the, the most of it. So, you know, there's always um, some things that you may not want to be um, the best solution for everybody. But um, when it's all said and done, you'll know that it was better that way. So that's all I can say. Well, that's um, that's a beautiful, um, beautiful thing that you just said, and and you know one of the things people could do, you know, like you mentioned, you honored your sister-in-law, you know, honoring the person's journey, not trying to fix the situation, because they may have their own choices and their own feelings, and it's not for you to say, here's what I want you to feel, but to listen, listen, and then you know, figure how to give them the space and time to honor their journey and what they're going through and supporting them in that journey. It may not be what you want, may not be on your time, but just loving them through it. And um, I think one of the things, too, that people can really do is when someone is ill and you can honor that time and you can serve them, you know, whether they're going to make it or not, being able to serve somebody during a time of transition, as in from this life to the next life or through a time of illness is a huge it's an amazing thing to really help somebody to go through breast cancer and to watch them heal. And um, if you can serve somebody during that time, it's amazing that how they can grow from the experience and how you can grow from the experience. Um, and um, so those are things people could do as well, is look at how you can honor that person's journey and, and be there for them. And, and also, you know, offering to go over and help them, you know, with with, with tasks and and take into account the children that they have living with them because people often overlook children. Uh, they're the un- unsung heroes of survivors mm-hmm. because they're the ones that keep a lot of mothers going. They're the ones that are making the mother lunch or, you know, are sacrificing because the mother can't be as do all the things she might want to do. And the young kids go through a lot of um, challenges with wondering about their parents' mortality, um, feeling insecure about you know, their their life and what's going to happen to them if their mother should pass or as she's ill and they go through anger and um, they don't understand. And so being able to support that woman and her children or her child or helping them in some way, even a spouse that's supporting who's a caregiver um, is important as well. And so those are all things people can consider as they, as they think about supporting somebody who's going through treatment uh, and recovery. Well, thank you, Mema. Um, really um, enjoyed having you on, and we want to have you on again real soon, right before your event. So um, we we look forward to hearing from you again. And I just want to say thank you for all that you do, and um, you know, just taking that step to um, you know become so committed in the, the advocacy work that you do and education for survivors of breast cancer, people who could possibly um, learn something and save their own lives by early detection, and um, just all that you do to help people through this painful process. And um, I just can't really say enough um, about um, the Tiger Lily Foundation, and and, um, I just look forward to to hearing about and seeing more of what you do in the near future and um, hearing more stories Hopefully we can next time around. Maybe we could even hear from your your daughter as well. Um, oh, that would be wonderful. I, yeah, I think she's ready now to do that. Thank you. <laughs> that would be awesome. Okay. Well, it, you know the time is out. I mean, we've only got a minute remaining. We've talked for an hour just like that. It's just been incredible. But it was wonderful. I really appreciate um, spending this time with you. It's been my honor to. Just, you know, to talk with you and to share because, um, again, like I mentioned, it's about servicing other people. And whenever I can share and educate and um, hopefully inspire, you know, one person, then my work is done. So thanks uh-huh. for giving me the platform to do that on your show today. Well, thank you, Mayma, and uh, we hope to hear from you real soon. Wonderful. Well, this is Michael Fordham, and you've been listening to A Measure of Truth. But before you go, here's a little something to take with you. Ask God for wisdom daily, but know that your lesson can come from anybody or any situation, good or bad, friend or foe. Watch your thoughts. They become words. And watch your words. They become actions. And watch your actions. They become habits. And watch your habits. They become your character. And watch your character. It becomes your destiny. 
Until we meet again, take care of what becomes of you.